0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen in the United States. I'm your host Michelle and I am a skeptic by nature but I really do want to be a believer. I'm both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I'll present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports and we will see where the two meet. Join me as always in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode is a little bit different as It's just in time for the Halloween spooky season, and I'll let you know why it's a little different in just a moment. This week's episode is covering the Bridgewater Triangle located in the state of Massachusetts. Now pretty much everyone has heard of the Bermuda Triangle, and after listening to episode 6 of this podcast, you should all know about the Bennington Triangle. If you haven't listened to the Bennington Triangle episode, shame, shame, go listen. It is quite an interesting one, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, today I'm going to cover many of the strange occurrences that happen in the Bridgewater Triangle, but I won't be covering all the occurrences that happen there, as with this topic, I actually have a little help from my friends. This episode is part of a larger series in collaboration with seven other podcasts in the BOOPOD network. How this collaboration works is each podcast has made an episode about the Bridgewater Triangle as it's such a huge story, one or two episodes just wouldn't cut it. And let's be perfectly honest, no one really wants to hear an eight hour long podcast from me droning on and on. So to get the full story, you have to listen to an episode from seven of my fellow podcast friends in the BooPod network. Some of these podcasts focus on the true crime aspect of the Triangle, some on the spooky stories and the cults, and some have even put their unique spin on the topic itself. I am the seventh episode in this collaboration with one episode remaining to release this month. The first episode of the Bridgewater Triangle series is from the podcast called The Nightcap. I recommend listening to their story first as it is an introduction to the whole area including the origins of the legends, the history, and things of that nature. Since this amazing podcast has already covered the introduction, I will not be going into the history in depth on this podcast. So if you haven't heard the Nightcaps introduction, pause this episode and go listen to their episode. It is really well done and they'll kind of guide you through which podcast to listen to in which order before finally coming back to listen to this amazing episode. You may be wondering what my portion of the story for this series will be. Well, it has something for every paranormal interest. Aliens. There's tons of different cryptid sightings, ghosts, and other strange sightings I can't really explain. I have a feeling this episode will intrigue everyone while boggling your mind at the same time. And again, usually this is where I would cover the history of the Triangle, but since the Nightcap podcast has done that for me, I will be getting right into the paranormal tales. How I'll be doing that is I have separated the tales by section of what is said to be happening in the Bridgewater Triangle, and I will begin the story with King Philip's Cave located in Norton, Massachusetts. This cave is said to be haunted by the spirit of an indigenous chief who was beheaded in this cave. Because of this, many people report paranormal activity at the cave and around it. This includes seeing floating balls of light and phantom campfires. And if you don't know what a phantom campfire is, these are fires that are seen from a distance. But when you go to investigate, there was never a fire at all. No smell, no remnants, no smoke. Some people have reported to hear the sounds of drums playing, Though, of course, when you look around, there's no one who could be playing the drums. All of these sightings, sounds are all tied to the death of this chief. So, let's look into the history of him. In the late 1600s, the inner tribal leader of the indigenous tribes in the area was Metacomet, otherwise known as King Philip. He was called King Philip to honor relations between the English colonists and the tribe's people, so he wanted a more English name to be known by. By the time King Philip had taken power, the indigenous people were not really favored well by the colonists and were really looked down upon, and also their land was being quickly exchanged for things such as guns and liquor. This worried the king, and he was right to be worried. In 1671, colonists forced him to sign a peace agreement to surrender all their guns to the colonists. With all this going on, King Philip was luckily able to keep things civil between the tribe's people and the colonists. That is, until the year 1675. In that year, the tribespeople actually found out that there was a traitor in the tribe who was informing on them to the English settlers. Three tribespeople went ahead, found out this informant, and murdered him. When the colonists found out their informant was murdered, they proceeded to execute the three tribespeople who had killed their informant. This led to an all-out war between the indigenous people and the colonists. It was just kind of the last straw in the fire. Eventually, the colonists showed that they would win and overpower the indigenous people, so King Philip and those who survived the battle fled to the swamps. It is thought for a time that King Philip hid in what is now known as King Philip's Cave. Though... he did not die here, actually. There was a final battle in present-day Rhode Island where he was killed and beheaded, and his head was put on a spike and put on display for weeks on end, which is actually pretty disgusting, but not unheard of in that time, unfortunately. This leads me to imagine, I don't know why, this chief would be haunting a place where he might have just hidden for a night or two. He didn't live in this area, he didn't die in this area, but it was on his tribe's people's ground. Also, the area is now surrounded by many homes with a street nearby and backyards backing up to the cave these families seem to have no complaints of any paranormal activity. There's also Boy Scouts and Girl Scout troops that regularly care for the trail in the cave area, which doesn't really sound very creepy to me, but there are a lot of things that happened here. This area may have seen some fightings in the battles, but it was not a main area where the tribe stayed or that would have seen battles such as Hakamak Swamp which, speaking of, is our next spot to cover. Now, it is said if you can only visit one location in the Bridgewater Triangle, many people will tell you it should be this one. Not only is it a hotbed of activity, but pretty much anything can happen here. The swamp lands about in the middle of the triangle, and its name translates to, quote, the place where spirits dwell, end quote, though colonists lovingly refer to it as Devil's Swamp. It is a vast area covering about 17,000 acres, so be careful if you visit as it is easy to get lost, though it also means that things can easily hide here. Maybe getting lost might be the least scary part of the swamp. People have spotted so many things in the swamp that it's a little overwhelming, and let me give you a rundown on what is spotted. First off, there are a number of cryptids seen here at Hakamok Swamp. The first one I want to mention is the Thunderbird. Thunderbirds are huge, flying, bird-like creatures that really resemble a pterodactyl. Their wingspan is huge, measuring at least 8 to 12 feet wide. The Thunderbirds got their names from the indigenous people who resided there and are actually not exclusive to this area alone. They have been spotted in numerous areas in the United States, and Tales of the Thunderbirds date back to the indigenous folklore speaking of these giant birds, and many in the area claim that they live in this swamp. They are called Thunderbirds, as it is said that their wings are so large and so strong that when they flap, they sound like thunder. There are multiple sighting accounts, including one from a very respected man of the law, In the year 1917, the sergeant of the police force named Thomas Downey came face to face with one of these huge bird-like creatures. He was driving home when he saw the creature standing at the edge of the swamp. The officer could not make sense of what he was seeing. I mean, it looked like a bird, but it stood over six feet tall. The bird started coming towards the car, and the officer was of course a little freaked out, though luckily for him, the bird then took off and flew away. When it did, he said he could see the wingspan was at least 8 feet wide, though it could have been larger, he couldn't tell. The sergeant filed a report and called other policemen to the scene where they discovered large three-toed prints in the mud. He was widely believed by people as he was a very upstanding officer and a person in general. And later on, he wasn't the only one who saw these creatures. In 1986, Kathleen and Donald Garner were driving down the road near the swamp when a large bird flew up to the car. It peered into the passenger side window, causing Kathleen to scream, I don't know if this startled the bird or what, but it then flew away. Kathleen reported it was a large white bird that was about six feet tall with at least a six foot wide wingspan. And strangely, she stated the bird had teeth. One of the other main sightings reported happened in the year 1988, just two years after the Garner spotted this bird. Two young children were following a trail of footprints in the woods and they couldn't figure out what kind of creature would make huge three-toed prints in the mud. When they got to the end of the prints, they came face to face with something out of their wildest dreams. It was a thunderbird. When the huge bird-like creature saw them, it immediately took off and flew away. The kids told their parents and the police their story, but everyone pretty much chalked it up to the boys seeing a great blue heron. Which, great blue herons are pretty common in this area in Massachusetts, and they do have wingspans close to 7 feet wide. But the kids refused this, saying it was much bigger than any heron that they had ever seen. It was as tall as a grown man and had some human-like features. Could it have been a thunderbird? Well, we can't be sure, but I'm not familiar with any birds in Massachusetts with teeth. Though Kathleen Garner's report was the only report saying they did have teeth. Most people just noted the size of their wingspan and how tall they are. Luckily, all of the sightings of this creature have been without incident as the bird seems to be fearful of people as when spotted, it tends to just fly away. But of course, Thunderbirds are not the only cryptid in Hakamok Swamp. And what would a paranormal cryptid story be without Bigfoot? I'm pretty sure everyone knows about this cryptid, so let's get into the sightings of Bigfoot in this area. One night, two police officers were sitting in their patrol car at the edge of the swamp. On April 8th of 1940, the two officers were scanning the area from their cruiser when all of a sudden they felt the entire rear part of their vehicle lift off the ground. Then as quickly as it lifted up, the car was suddenly and violently dropped back to the ground, causing the officers to pretty much hit their head on the dashboard. The officers were, of course, freaked out. I mean, who wouldn't be? They were trying to figure out what was going on, so they trained their spotlights to see what had caused the event. What they saw was a huge creature running behind a nearby home. The officer said it appeared hairy and looked like a bear, but it ran on its two legs. Nothing you would see a bear do, because while a bear can stand on its hind legs, bears don't run on their hind legs. Officers came out and searched the area, but again, turned up nothing. In another report, there was a hunter in the woods, and he spotted a large hairy creature through the thick of the swamp. He took out his gun and shot at the creature, but when he hit it, he said it let out a cry that sounded part human and part animal. He had hunted these woods for a long time and had never heard such a sound in his entire life. He couldn't imagine what the creature could be, so he scoured the area, but the only thing he found was brown hair and blood. No sign of the creature. Another sighting was from a woman who was in her house when she heard some noise in her backyard. She looked through the window in her kitchen overlooking the backyard and saw a huge, hairy creature eating a pumpkin in her yard. She stated the creature had reddish-orange eyes, and when it saw her, it stood up on its two legs, and walked swiftly into the woods of the swamp before completely disappearing. In 1970, a seven-foot-tall, hairy creature was spotted. The creature was sometimes moving on all four legs, and sometimes it walked upright like a human. Authorities responded to multiple calls from residents, but always came up empty-handed. They found no signs of the creature, and again, no bears walk on their hind legs for a long period of time, so what could it be? Staying in the 1970s, it was also reported that local farmers were having their sheep and pigs killed during the night. There were reports of Bigfoot sightings in the area when this happened, and it was thought that this was the cause. Though again, police and search dogs found no culprits and no track marks from any person or animal. In the 1980s, a man named John Baker was trapping in the swamp at night, and he was in his canoe running his trap lines. At some point, he became aware of a large creature that was following him. He felt like he was almost being tracked himself. Not knowing what else to do or what was tracking him, he took off in his boat through the swamp and down a creek. He kept moving and he heard the creature getting closer and closer to him. When he turned and looked, he saw a huge, hairy creature, and he said it was so close that he could actually smell the creature, and it was a scent he hadn't smelled before. It was a mix of almost a skunk with a musty scent and just like a dirt-like odor. It was like no creature he stated he'd ever seen before, and this was a man who hunted and trapped regularly. That leaves us with many sightings of the infamous Bigfoot, as well as the Thunderbirds. But a strange one is there's also giant snakes that are reported to be spotted in the swamp. These reports came during the 1930s when there were laborers working in the swamps and they reported seeing snakes as large as stovepipes. They were so scared of these snakes that the workers fled the area and would not return to work. I delved in to see what these snakes might have been or any other reports, but there haven't been any other sightings since the 1930s making it a very isolated time frame of if these cryptids were in the area, maybe they died out or went somewhere else. Over the years, there have been a number of reports of a large canine-like cryptid with red glowing eyes seen in the swamp. One of those reports came in the year 1976 from a man named Philip Kane, he spotted this large dog-like cryptid when he saw it rip the throats out of two of his ponies. Per his account, though, the creature was as large as a pony, which is a huge dog-like creature. So as you can see, we have quite a number of cryptids hanging out in the swamp, though they aren't the only strange thing that likes to hang out of the swamp. Aliens are also quite prominent in the area. The first documented UFO sighting in the Bridgewater Triangle took place on May 10th of 1760. At 10 o'clock that morning, it is reported that a sphere of fire was observed over New England. According to historical records, the UFO emitted light bright enough to actually cast a shadow in bright sunlight. Bridgewater was again visited by these strange aircraft on Halloween night of 1908. They were seen when two undertakers were driving their carriage down the road just after three o'clock in the morning. When they looked up into the sky, they saw an object that looked like a really bright lantern. They said the object was about two and a half feet in diameter. The two men and other witnesses watched this aircraft for quite some time sometimes it was seen to hover and other times it would keep a straight steady course the incident itself was well documented in local newspapers as there were so many witnesses though one newspaper reported that some weather and hot air balloons in the area had not been accounted for which may be what people were seeing with this ufo in a response to this statement, one of the undertakers stated, quote, I claim that a hot air balloon could not move in a circle or perpendicular as this one did, end quote. He also stated, quote, it moved up and down seemingly at the will of some individual, end quote. There were many UFO sightings in the area during the 1960s, and reports continued to come in through the decades. In January of 1991, a green flying disc was seen in the area moving slowly and silently at an altitude of about 50 feet. The craft was said to have a very powerful beam of light emitting so that it lit up a huge area. In late November of 1997, a law enforcement officer working the night shift saw a large rectangular UFO with three white and two red star-like lights. Then in 1999, a man named George Lacasse saw a UFO in the sky. It was seen from a distance as a red light and per his account, it was moving in a way no aircraft known at that time could move. Also, in that same year, a woman named Courtney Cullen stated that she saw a UFO while at a summer cookout. During the cookout, there was all of a sudden a very loud noise. The next thing she knew, this was followed by an intense bright light in the sky, though she stated there was no color to the light, so I'm assuming it was white the lights began quickly descending and seemed to be heading right towards the house where the cookout was. It was pretty scary as it seemed as though the craft would likely crash right into the house. Luckily for everyone attending the barbecue, the aircraft turned sideways a short distance from the house at a very high speed before disappearing. Not long after the craft disappeared, it's stated that military helicopters arrived surveilling the area. Now, these are just a handful of the varied accounts over the decades of aliens and UFOs. Are aliens drawn to this area? And if so, why? I don't know. Now, we've covered the cryptid and alien reports it's time to get into the haunted reports of Hockamock Swamp. Orbs of light are seen floating over the swamp quite frequently. But these aren't the kind of orbs people talk about in pictures, either. These orbs are seen near sunrise and sunset and float over the water, changing directions quickly and easily. In addition to these strange glowing orbs, There's also flashes of light seen throughout the swamp. Which, people have said maybe it's lightning bugs, but I doubt that people are confusing lightning bugs with flashes of light. But, what else would flash? The sound of drumming is present in the swamp, but you can never quite pinpoint where the sound is emanating from. It seems to just kind of encompass the whole swamp, like it's the heartbeat of the swamp. Apparitions of spirits are seen here usually wearing attire that tribe's people would have worn long ago. And let's look into why these paranormal occurrences may be happening. In the 17th century, the swamp was used by the Wapanog tribe. They used the swamp as protection from the English colonists. These colonists didn't bother the tribe's people here as you couldn't grow crops or build houses in the swamp, so in their eyes, the land was pretty useless. Though the tribe's people were actually heavily reliant on the swamp, the swamp provided the tribe's people all the food they might need and protection from other people finding them. Because the swamp was so important to the tribe, they saw it as sacred land and they ended up using the swamp as burial grounds for their people who passed away. According to their beliefs, a spirit named Hakamok resided in the waters of the swamp. The spirit of Hakamok is said to be the deity of death and disease, and is composed of human souls. Because of their belief in this deity, that is how the swamp got its name of Hakamok Swamp. But let's fast forward and look at what's going on more recently. With the need for further room for expansion in this area of Massachusetts, developers honed in on wanting to develop the swamp. So in order to do this, the Massachusetts Archaeology Society went about excavating the area to make sure any historical artifacts were preserved from the area. And what they found was absolutely amazing. They found thousands and thousands of artifacts dating back thousands of years. They also discovered the burial grounds in the swamp with many skeletons being recovered. The tribe's people wanted the remains of their ancestors to stay in the sacred area, but developers pushed and pushed until they got their way and took the sacred land from the tribe's people. The remains were removed and were relocated. So, could the paranormal reports be linked to the Hakamok spirit? Maybe they originate from the many who died and were buried in this land. In addition, the reports may have intensified after disturbing the remains of the tribe's people and their sacred land. So the swamp is a bit of a doozy, and let's kind of change course, and I'm going to now take you to Raynham Park. Raynham Park is a racetrack where greyhounds and horses race, but they don't do live racing anymore due to a statewide ban that was enacted in 2009. What they do is simulcast racing, which is pretty much where you hang out in a lounge while watching the race on TV, and you're able to place bets on the race. The woods around this racetrack are known for being a hotbed of activity. The three most common reports are those of UFO sightings, spook lights, and puck wedgies. We all basically know what UFOs are, but do you know what spook lights and puck wedgies are? If you said yes, I'm impressed. If you said no, then you can join the club and learn along with me. Spook lights are unexplained lights that change color, direction, and intensity. You might wonder, how do we know it's not a UFO? Well, the UFO sightings are usually basically in the air, and most of these sightings are pretty much at ground level. And Pukwudgies are actually creatures from local legends of indigenous tribes people. They are said to be magical, small, human-like creatures, and... Depending on the legend, the tribe, and the region, puckwudgies range from mischievous creatures to downright dangerous. For the Wampanoag tribe, they were actually responsible for the death of many of their tribe's people. These puckwudgies live in the woods and usually smell sweet like flowers. They are said to have magical powers which vary depending on the region and the tribes people. Some of these powers include being able to become invisible, make you forget things, bring harm to a person with their gaze alone, and even shapeshift into various animals. Which makes me think about all the cryptid reports. I mean, what do you think? Maybe the puck wedgies are Bigfoot. One famous sighting of a Pukwudgie was from a man named Bill Russo. Bill was walking his Shepherd Wattweiler mixed dog near the track at night when he spotted a child in a weird furry costume. The kid was standing under a streetlight near the edge of the woods, and as he got closer, he heard the child speak and realized it couldn't be a child at all. It was some strange creature that he had never seen before. And when it spoke, it said, e wa, chu, here. Bill Russo tried to speak to the creature, but it didn't respond. During this time, Bill Russo's dog was becoming more nervous and fearful so he figured he should take a cue from his dog and this was as good a time as any to get the heck out of Dodge. He turned, left, and had no further incidents that evening. In retrospect, Bill Russo believes that he saw a puck wedgie. He also believes that the creature was attempting English, saying, We want you. Come here. I He here. So the puckwudgies are kind of an interesting cryptid, and if you really enjoy learning about the puckwudgies, you will enjoy this next location as there are reports of them here as well. And this takes us to Easton's Mill Pond, and this is located in Easton, Massachusetts. This location is easily located as there is a sign that marks the location, though the sign isn't telling you that you've arrived at a pond. It is marking the site of the John Seely Sawmill. The sign is pretty interesting with what it says, telling you that John Seely's son Nathan was a wizard, first off. And John had given control of the sawmill to his son Nathan when he retired, And per the sign, Nathan summoned satanic imps to run the mill overnight. I'm guessing maybe so he could sleep. And I just had to include that little bit about the sign as how many signs are commissioned stating that someone was a wizard and used imps brought by Satan. Many of those who have looked into this believe that it actually wasn't demons or imps but Pukwudgies that helped run the mill. The most popular legend states that the devil himself actually visited Nathan and supplied him his demon labor force. When he visited Nathan, he left behind a large footprint in a rock in the shape of his hoof. He gave the labor for a price, though. And what is the price? Legend has it that it was Nathan's soul. Interestingly enough, rumor has it that John Seely's grave is at a local cemetery and easy to find, but that Nathan's grave has never been located. Which adds to the mystery in the air of what happened at this mill pond. Though, I did a quick search on findagrave.com and easily found Nathan's gravestone. He died in 1815 at the age of 82 and is buried in Easton, Massachusetts at the John Seeley Cemetery. So if you're looking for John Seeley's grave, you're going to find his sons right there too. The mill is no longer standing as it burned to the ground long, long ago. But you can see the foundation of the mill and the 6.6 acres can still be explored around it. I will include a picture of the footprint of the devils on social media for your enjoyment. I'm not sure I would say it's a hoofprint in a rock, but check it out and see what you think. I will be posting it on Instagram and Facebook. And speaking of rocks, let's move on to the tales of Solitude Stone. This strange stone, also known as Suicide Stone, is located in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And is right off Forest Street before the comfort bridge. The stone does have a message inscribed on it that reads, All ye who in future days walk by none catesset stream, love not him who hummed his lay cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed in this quiet solitude. End quote. There is a plaque at the stone that will tell you the poem was written by Reverend Timothy Payne in 1852, who was a local area pastor. Sadly, the stone is in an area that has a pretty sad history. In 1916, a girl named Evelyn Packard was taking a canoe trip on a river in Hockamock Swamp. She went missing, and at first all they could find was her canoe with her coat sitting in it, completely dry. After searchers dragged the river and searched for many days, her body was finally discovered, and it was found next to Solitude Stone. The cause of her death, sadly, was determined to be suicide. Her apparition is now seen in the spot and many people state that they feel an intense sadness when standing near this stone. Could she be tied to the spot where she took her own life? I don't know. That's for you to decide. Moving on from Solitude Stone, we're going to get all our rocks out of the way and move on to Profile Rock. Profile Rock is located in Freetown, Massachusetts and is a rock outcropping that looks like the profile of a face, hence the name Profile Rock. Profile Rock is known as a pretty creepy location in the triangle. You have to walk through the woods quite a bit to get here and what you may see might have you running back the way you came. Phantom fires and spook lights are common here and creepy, but manageable, I suppose. But what may scare the pants off of you is a full-blown apparition. This apparition usually likes to appear near sunset, and many people who have gone out to Profile Rock have seen the figure of a man sitting cross-legged on the top of the rock. He looks as though he is praying or meditating with his arms outstretched towards the sun. If you get close to him, though, he will completely vanish into thin air. There is a legend from the Wampanoag tribe that tells of who this figure may be. This is reportedly where a man named Anwan received the sacred Wampoon Belt from King Philip. The belt was a symbol of a treaty between two tribes, and the belt was said to be highly spiritual and sacred due to the sacred nature of the ceremony in the belt, as well as the fact that the belt is lost, may tie Anwan's spirit to this place. But the spook lights, the phantom fires, orbs, and other paranormal phenomenon may be linked closer to the present. This area here is linked to murders, animal mutilations, satanic cults, and much, much more. Many people claim to feel a negative energy throughout the area and through the entire Freetown Forest where Profile Rock is located. I would give you further information on all of the paranormal happenings, the cult activity, and so forth, but I can't do that. For that, you have to follow the podcast. Freetown State Forest and its sordid history will be covered by the two podcasts, called Spilling the Crime, and Mums, Mysteries, and Murder. These two podcasts followed a different part of the story associated with the forest surrounding Profile Rock and are currently live on air, so make sure you listen to those two episodes to get a more in-depth story. You can still visit Profile Rock, but sadly, people suck and have vandalized the place over the years. In 2019, the rock formation that looked like the nose of the face fell off, so it no longer resembles the profile of a face. But that hasn't stopped the paranormal activity from continuing. And while our next location does not involve rocks, you can say it does involve stones, as our next location is the Mayflower Hill Cemetery, located in Taunton, Massachusetts. The main haunted reports swirl around one grave in particular, and that is the grave of a girl named Pearl French. The grave itself features a large, empty rocking chair, which has led to a lot of speculation and a ton of different legends. If you visit her grave, you might experience some of what others have claimed. Many people state that they have seen an apparition of a little girl walking around the grave, and some have even seen her sitting in the rocking chair. In addition to this, there are also reports of orbs of light that float around the gravestone of Pearl French. Now, what happened to Pearl and why would she be haunting here? Well, legends state that she died after falling backwards over the chair and breaking her neck. And one other legend states that she died in a fire while sitting in the rocking chair. Now, these are just legends, but the real story is just as sad. In March of 1882, four-year-old Pearl died after a battle with spinal meningitis. After her death, you may wonder why her family would put a vacant rocking chair on her gravesite. Well, in 1850, there was a poem called The Vacant Chair published. At the time, it was a pretty well-known poem and spoke of the heartbreak associated with the death of a child. On her grave, it reads, quote, her vacant chair, end quote. Speaking of Taunton, Massachusetts, the cemetery is just the tip of the iceberg. Taunton Hospital is a haunted psychiatric facility in the city, though if you want more information on this hospital, you have to follow the podcast again. The Taunton Hospital aspect will be covered by the Shit and Bricks podcast, who brings you a little bit more true crime and a hilarious spin on the Bridgewater Triangle. In addition to the hospital, UFO sightings are common, with two huge UFOs seen landing near Route 44 in Taunton in December of 1976. And then on March 23rd of 1979, two newsmen saw an object shaped like a home plate on a baseball diamond emit a mysterious green substance at the junctions of Route 24 and 106 in Taunton. While you might spot UFOs near Route 44, you should also be wary of a phantom truck and hitchhikers in the area, especially a red-headed man that hitchhikes on Route 44. Do you want to know his story? Well, if you do, listen to the podcast Haunted UK for the story of the red-headed hitchhiker. And for a fictional tale from the hitchhiker's perspective, listen to our master storyteller from the podcast, The Skylark Bell. These two great podcasts will definitely make you glad you tuned in. Now that wraps up the paranormal locations I will be covering for this episode on the Bridgewater Triangle. There are other locations such as Haunted Schoolhouse, Haunted Homes, and more, though these are the main areas that will give you a good idea of what to expect from the area. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Don't forget to listen to the other great podcasts in this Follow the Podcast series. That way you get the whole story on the triangle. The last episode in the series will be from the podcast The Activity Continues, so keep an ear out as it will be dropping shortly. I would love your thoughts on whether you think the Bridgewater Triangle is a hotbed of paranormal activity or not. I'd love you to share any personal experiences you've had there or proofs, facts, anything you'd like to share. I'd also love your feedback on this episode and suggestions you may have for a future episode. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday wherever you tune in and don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast so you know as soon as a new episode is ready. You can also follow the podcast social media for more information on each episode, including pictures, links, and much, much more. You can follow on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always shoot an email over to ParanormalExposedPodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you all have a safe and happy Halloween, and I'll catch you all next Wednesday.